A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like straw, stables and carrots. You can see where I'm going with this, can't you, Sam? You can (laughs) see where I'm going. It's It's going to be very obvious. Or we could do brandy, cotton candy and the dandy, shandy, being handy and the name... Andy, which is a nod to my pal, which it's a nod to my pal Andy Gordon. So, Andy, hello if you're listening. Uh, however, this is to digress, as always, because what we really should be doing and what we will be doing throughout the course of this episode is following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam Willis? Who knew that the history of snakes? is in fact all about fear and phobia, mythology via Medusa, St. Patrick, Vikings, sea serpents, and many, many more. It's also all about dreams and the US Civil War. It's about the Hopi snake dance, weaponizing venom for military uses. And it's also about the invention of anti-venom. Who knew? Who knew also that the history of posing is in fact all about 17th century sartorial elegance and cutting a dash around town. It's about family paintings, photographs and the history of the selfie. It's also all about Michelangelo's David and Native Americans in the pictorial press. And it's about the history of consumption and owning far too many pairs of gloves. Of course it is. Of course it is, Sam. Each of those being an excellent episode. Do go back and listen to them. Uh, let me just say of my fellow presenter, if history was an E, he would be an awe. He is the man that does the donkey work of research to bring history to you wherever you are in the world, even if it is atop a mountain in the Himalayas. Nothing is too precipitous for his steady gait and nimble hooves of research. He is Professor Extraordinary of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James the Donkey Daybell. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. That was that. I said the last the last one you did of me was uh, tour de force. That was just simply inspired. Very clever. I feel utterly humble in your presence. Um, when you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode? Well, let's just say that if he were a donkey-related historian, he'd only be the world-famous Dominic the donkey helping Father Christmas over the Alps into Italy because his reindeer were far too tired. No historical link here <laughs> at all. But I just wanted to compare you to Dominic the donkey, and I will sing you it uh, the song later on. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. 
Hello everyone, very nice to be here. Um, this is the first of our dedicated Christmas episodes. We did a little introductory one, which I hope you've all listened to, uh, in which we discuss uh, things as far afield as the markets of Wuhan in China and rare books. Uh, but today we are having a more focused episode and we are going to be talking about the wonderful history of donkeys. Yes. Uh, James, what, what, what did you do? <laughs> How did you start thinking about this? Well, before I... Right, before we do that, I also want to refer people to our back catalogue where I think the first Christmas you talked about putting rubbish on your Christmas tree as decorations. Oh, yeah. Yes, True. so people should go back and check that out. Well, what I wanted to do was, of course, this is... And let this... me actually hang on, hang on a minute. No, go on. I didn't put rubbish on my tree. What I did was I made decorations out of things which were going to be thrown out. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, in the, Slightly di- over the years, I have forgotten that detail, <laughs> and I have just thought that Sam Willis decorates his tree with rubbish, with like yeah, old my, tin cans. My, my favourite was no, no, no. It was a it was a little little elf made out of um, Satsuma peel and matchsticks. Oh, that, of which that's... There, there are you will find a plenty around your Christmas household, and I used my genius as a sculptor using. Um, uh, un- unexpected ingredients and uh, to to make a Christmas elf. Well, so that, I that's... challenge everyone to do the same thing. It's almost impossible. That's very different. That's very different. I, I don't like it quite as much as as decorating your tree <laughs> with rubbish, but I th- I can see it. I can see the zest. I can see the you know just the creativity of it all. Anyway, back to donkeys. Um, I everyone knows about the association of donkeys with Christmas because it is in Christian tradition that Mary and Joseph travelled to Bethlehem on a donkey. I want to debunk that myth, sort of, uh, and then connect it to dragons because they were in fact dragons. <laughs> they flew to Bethlehem at, at, on a dragon. They were in fact dragons at the nativity, hmm. and so what I want. If you if you do any research about this, you'll find all over the internet people saying, oh, there were no donkeys anywhere. Um, this is sort of true, but sort of not. If you have a look at the gospel evidence, there are two places in the Bible where the travelling to Bethlehem is mentioned. Um, this is Matthew and Luke. Matthew, in fact, has them, the gospel of Matthew has them already living in Bethlehem. Uh, Luke two uh there's no mention of them at all and they sort of get on with their adult life and because it is christmas uh i just want to read you a little extract from uh the new international version uh luke chapters uh two through to about 12 something like that that i'll i'll read you which is about the birth of jesus in those days caesar augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire roman world this was the first census that took place while quirinius was governor of syria and everyone went to their own town to register so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child no mention of a donkey here while they were there the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them I think that this is a very modern translation that I'm not entirely comfortable with but nonetheless I'll keep with it and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel 
of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those who have his favour rests. And so it goes on. So this is this is the the sort of main biblical reference to the nativity. Um, now there are other slightly later sources that do not find their way into the Bible that that actually establish uh, the donkey uh, in in the, the the sort of nativity scene, and one of them is the Gospel of James, which is a sort of proto gospel. Uh, this was written in the second century A.D. and it describes in great detail the journey of Mary and Joseph, uh, Jesus's birth, um, all the way from the the comforts of home, and. I'll just read you a little a little extract from this. Um, there was an order from the Emperor Augustus that said all in Bethlehem of Judea should be enrolled. And Joseph said, I shall enrol my sons, but what shall I do with this maiden? How shall I enrol her as my wife? I am ashamed as my daughter then, but all the sons of Israel know she is not my daughter. The day of the Lord shall itself bring it to pass as the Lord will. And he saddled the ass and set upon it, and his son led it, and Joseph followed. And so this is the, one of the first ideas of the donkey being introduced. People, real pedants, have sort of said, well, actually, if you think about it practically, most people travelled in caravans for great sort of convenience and safety. So in other words, they travelled, you know, in, in large groups, so they wouldn't have been by themselves. Also, you know, they wouldn't be travelling by themselves because at the time... It was safer to travel in caravans for protection because you've got bandits, robbers, you know, all sorts of people uh, around the desert. It's also a long, a long way. So between Nazareth and Bethlehem, um, travelling by foot or by animal or even in a cart was about four to, to six days over rough tracks. So, you know, that aside, however, um, I think we can establish that there is, you know, there is a sort of a, a, a donkey uh, that is being referred to here. What's also interesting is that from the from the um, the gospel of the proto gospel of James, we also hear that he um, that they are not in a domestic space, but rather they are in a cave. And there's a later seventh. Uh, to 8th century Latin text which is called the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew that takes on this nativity story that we find in James and basically embellishes it with a with a, another version. Mary um, is is in a cave and then leaves the cave after Jesus is born and takes him to a stable and this is what introduces the famous ox uh, and and ass scene uh, to it and and all the sort of stuff that is uh, that you find on on Christmas cards but also the other thing that you find here is that there are also various other creatures uh, that are introduced into this into this scene you know um, wild animals leopards 
lions, even dragons that come along to pray, pay homage to uh, the newly born baby Jesus. Uh, um, and in in pseudo Matthew, uh, it, it reads, and behold, suddenly many dragons came out of the cave. Then the Lord, even though he was not yet two years old, roused himself, got to his feet and stood in front of them. And the dragons worshipped him. When they finished worshipping worshipping him, they went away. So too both lions and leopards were worshipping him and accompanying him in the desert, showing them the way and being subject to them and bowing their heads with the great reverence they showed their servitude by wagging their tails. So there we are. There is evidence of donkeys being present, but also reference to wild animals, including dragons. Hmm, very good. Christmas dragons, James. We that was my to... that was my prompt for donkeys, Sam. Yeah, no, wonderful stuff. Um, it quite, it's really maybe think notice something actually. So in that respect, you've got all these kind of rutted roads and the difficulty of, of travelling around the ancient ancient Middle East, and therefore donkeys are donkeys are reliable, aren't they? They're important. They they're an important part of people's livelihood. They're an indispensable tool for work in fields. Um, the great things about donkeys is the amount of burdens they can bear. They can just keep going. Um, hugely reliable and very important animals, um, which is not kind of how they've survived, really. Well, particularly in terms of um, how they are considered in relation to the First World War, which is what I immediately thought about when we were going to talk about donkeys. And, of course, the, the very famous contention or the phrase that you've got um, lions being led to their deaths by donkeys, particular associations here, lions being the brave soldiers, and they're sent to their deaths by the incompetent and indifferent leaders who are associated by the donkeys. And before I go on and talk about that, I just want to make the point here, by James having raised this in relation to the Bible, that actually the idea of a donkey being um, incompetent and perhaps indifferent isn't is really it's not actually very helpful when when you realise how indispensable and important donkeys were in the ancient Middle East. Anyway, this phrase when it comes to the First World War is um, it's it's really interesting, and I, I I think it's really interesting the way that it has survived over time, um, and of course. Not only has it survived over time, and people might all know this 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 idea about uh, um, lions um, being led to their death by donkeys, but of course it also has its own history as well. So it, it didn't just pop up with the First World War. There are other earlier examples of it. I go back to as early as Plutarch, which I thought was uh, fascinating, um, but not actually about donkeys, but more the same principles where he writes about an army of deer commanded by a lion is more to be feared than an army of lions commanded by a deer. There's another ancient Arabian proverb as well, saying an army of sheep led by a lion would defeat an army of lions led by a sheep. Well, the first time it's any, has any specific reference to donkeys, and particularly to the, the British military history, it happens during the Crimean War, where we've got um, a, a letter reportedly sent home by a British soldier quoting a Russian officer who had said that the British soldiers were lions commanded by donkeys. Um, anyway, I thought it was a, a fascinating thing to look at and, and also to, to make the a very key point that it's not 
in any way accepted now as, as, a, as, a, as a helpful way of understanding what happened during the First World War. It's a very incomplete picture, particularly of, of generalship. Uh, and the idea that the generals were indifferent to the sufferings of their men is, is consistently and constantly refuted by the facts. If you look at the, the accounts, if you look at the, the diaries... And you get a, you get a, if you look at the primary sources, you get a very clear and different sense of the relationship between uh, the men and their officers. Yeah, there are certainly some examples of, uh, of it, of it really not working very well at all. But the current opinion amongst military historians is that uh, this idea of of lions leading donkeys to the death is is almost completely discredited. So I just wanted to, to mention that, James, very briefly and to link it in with your, uh, with, your, with your point about how important donkeys were in the ancient Middle East. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh, this this connects us to sort of big themes about donkeys and this idea of donkeys as pack horses, as it were, or pack pack donkeys, so being used mm. for transportation in a period pre bulldozers and mini tractors that would be used to to build roads and towns. It actually connects them to some of the main sort of functions of civilization so they're they're involved in construction and trade and transport and all of those kinds of things connected to the army um the famous uh, swiss french architect uh, le corbusier uh, who lived between 1887 and 1965 thought that everything that was wrong with the sort of medieval town was related to the donkey and this was uh, this was a man who Swiss French architect. He was, you know, famous for functionalism and expressionism in his architecture. He's one of the sort of founding people of the International School of Architecture, which was represented by its clean geometric forms and its open spaces. That was what he sort of pioneered. But what he sees before that is these sort of these sort of 
really zigzaggy streets which he connects directly to the donkey and this is something that he obsesses about in his book in the city of tomorrow where he he talks about how man should and could walk in straight lines and i'm going to quote here the pack donkey meanders along meditates a little in his scatterbrained and distracted fashion he zigzags in order to avoid the larger stones or to ease the climb or to gain a little shade he takes the line of least resistance and basically this is what is responsible for the higgledy-piggledy winding haphazard nature of building almost every continental city basically he means he means europe so the donkey there is seen as primitive and a sign of backwardness um so and i read this in a really interesting piece uh, donkeys and mules in the new world where which looks at the way in which donkeys were imported into the new world so into uh, the Spanish Americas by Columbus, who took four donkeys, and from there they basically breed them and they become one of the dominant forms of production and carrying and play a really sort of important role, not only militarily but also in terms of building and trade and power and, and in particular, colonial power. Um, and there's a, some very interesting stuff there about the plight of donkeys in the Potosi mine, which was the real El Dorado of Spanish colonists. This was the place where all this sort of silver uh, came out of it. And apparently eight million people died in the course of extracting the silver. Uh, and this, this is, of course, the great fortunes that would then be sort of brought back by ship across the Atlantic and that would would form the sort of bedrock of European capitalism but also not only was it that people were were killed in that but also the donkeys uh, they were used to drive the milling machine so they were they basically had to walk round and round and round and this was something that really you know just did for them and the average life expectancy of a donkey working in a mine in that way was two months um, so it was a yeah an extraordinary um, extraordinary episode in history, and this sort of links quite nicely to the donkey sanctuary in Sidmouth, which is one mm. of, which is our local oh, yes. place. I used to go there all the time with our with our kids when they were younger, and this is a charity set up to look after donkeys that all over the place have been mistreated in in one way or another. And it's a, a real sort of haven for them. And we talked in our last episode about charitable giving and charity and Christmas and joy. And they are one of the you know, wealthiest charities in the country because uh, people have such a tender feeling about donkeys. And if you are thinking of not sending Christmas cards this year uh, or not sending uh, secret Santa presents, maybe a donation to... Uh, the Sidmouth Donkey Sanctuary. Uh, you can find them online. Would be a lovely way of of marking the festive season. Nice, very nice. Days. It's something about. I, I, I've been there. There's a lovely walk down just from there down to the coast, which is oh, particularly there is. It's good. beautiful. Mm. And there's something I, I think people are, in some respects, drawn quite helplessly towards donkeys. If you go to a nativity, we, were any of your children donkeys in the nativity, James? Uh, no, my 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 youngest was a star. Uh, and, and it's still a star in gold lame, and she was like, "I am a star," <laughs> and she still performs it every Christmas for us now. Wow. Very good, very good. Uh, my kids were were donkeys. 
I, I, I don't know. I think one of them might have been having said that. Um, but there's something particularly cute when the donkey child turns up and everyone's like, oh, that's the one who's a donkey. Um, and I think in the same way that everyone is attracted to the um, what's going on in the in the Sidmouth donkey sanctuary as well. It's a very sort of a helpless attraction towards these these beautiful, uh, wonderful, reliable, consistent um, animals. And one of the, the greatest ones of all, and I think this links into a sense of gloom around Christmas, which I think some people certainly have, is, of course, Eeyore. Oh, in, I love um, Eeyore. <laughs> yeah, um, Eeyore and A.A. Uh, a. Milne and the stories of Christopher Robin. And it's fascinating if you look into a little bit of the history of what's going on here. Um, and... So you've got the other animals, Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Owl, and all the other ones. They 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 live happily in Hundred Acre Wood. And Eeyore's a he's a he's a classic kind of outsider, isn't he? He he doesn't take part in their happy adventures. They're constantly having tea with each other and knocking on each other's doors. But not Eeyore. He he lives in his it was called his gloomy place, and it's marked on the map as rather boggy and sad. And he has the most wonderful biting and cutting sarcasm. Um, a wonderful comment here. He says, I have my friends. Somebody spoke to me only yesterday. Was it last week or the week before that? Rabbit bumped into me and said, bother. Uh, the social round, always something going on. And all of this, it's quite sad, I suppose, but all of the, the Eeyore being by himself really doesn't... He, he, it doesn't make him happy. He's kind of constantly wrestling with the challenges of the world. Um, and compares well he's always kind of commenting on on how Pooh has a he's a bear of very little brain anyway uh, the the point about all of this I think is is actually is to, to make you realize that something like um, Winnie the Pooh has its own history particularly A.A. A. Milne of course who wrote it he served in both world wars James and um, he was actually uh, he was captain of the British Home Guard in the second world war and was injured at the battle of the Somme in the First World War, and he's brought back, he recuperated, and as a well-known writer, he then ended up working for military intelligence. He wrote propaganda articles for MI7 between 1960 and 1918. Um, and when he came up with... He has, he has a son called Christopher Robin Milne, uh, and it is upon uh, Christopher Robin Milne that he bases Christopher Robin in the book. And it's Christopher Robin's teddies... Uh, which which uh, create the his toys particularly which which create the characters in the story but not all of them so piglet eeyore kanga roo uh, and tigger are all part of it but rabbit and owl james and this is uh, brings it right back to where we began they're a bit like the ox and the donkey the ox and the ass in the bible story because they were added later by someone else so uh, a fascinating sort of thing here. And if you want to go and see um, uh, all of these teddies and toys, you can see them. I have seen them. They're at the New York Public Library, and they're absolutely splendid things to see. So there we are, James. Um, oh, one interesting point here that also links A.A. Uh, a. Milne and Christopher Robin back to the Bible. Not only are there some figures and characters in the story that were actually added later by someone else's imagination, but A.A. Milne falls out with his son, Christopher Robin Milne, becomes uh, furious at what he sees as his father's exploitation of his childhood. He actually came to hate those books that we all love because they really thrust him into the public eye, um, which I thought was very interesting indeed, and it really did make me <laughs> think about the Bible uh, because there are some very obvious parallels there and... Um, 
whether Jesus would be angry with his father about uh, his father's exploiting his story and making it the most well-known commercial story in the whole history of the world, or whether Jesus was is quite happy with the way it is. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think Eeyore's got some really sad lines. Uh, I've yeah, just been does. scrolling through. You seem so sad, Eeyore. Sad? Why should I be sad? It's my birthday, the happiest day of the year. <laughs> and and then there's another another one, another little bit from um, which Piglet says, I thought, said Piglet earnestly, that if Eeyore stood at the bottom of the tree, and if Pooh stood on Eeyore's back, and if I stood on Pooh's shoulders, and then Eeyore says, and if Eeyore's back snapped suddenly, <laughs> then we could all laugh, ha ha, <laughs> amusing in a quiet way, said Eeyore, but not really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me. Well, nothing says Christmas like a depressed donkey, does it? <laughs> no, not I, at all. But uh, there we go. I think I, we, I think our, 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 our episode has actually revitalised donkeys, James. No, I think it does. And I want to end with... We, we got to nativities and then you sort of went off in a different direction via yes. uh, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Eeyore and, uh, and back to the Bible. And I wanted to think about nativities but in particular about songs connected to donkeys so christmas songs connected to donkeys and one of the most famous ones is little donkey uh which uh is a wonderful little uh song uh about the donkey's journey uh, carrying mary uh, it was originally produced in 1959 uh and written by the songwriter eric boswell and it describes the journey of Mary uh, to Bethlehem on a donkey, which is, is the title. Little donkey, little donkey on the dusty road. Got to keep on plodding onward with your precious load. And this was something that became uh, number one in the music chart, the UK sheet music chart, um, when it was it was introduced. And it was a huge hit. But actually, the man, Eric Boswell, uh, who was the composer of Little Donkey, uh, he lived between 1921 to 2009, was not simply known for his Christmas tunes. He did do another one, uh, which was The Boy from Bethlehem, which he wrote in 1970. But it was always in the shadow of Little Donkey, which was really popular. But also, he he didn't just do Christian uh, related songs. He also did fairly humorous ones, and there's one uh, it, which he did in a in a Geordie dialect uh, called "I've Got a Little Whippet," and also uh, another one called "Supermarket Blues." Now these are quite well known to uh, a British audience, and I imagine uh, they've been transported around the world. But have you heard, Sam, of a song called "Dominic the Donkey," which contains? Uh, the lines, hey, chingity-ching, hee-haw, hee-haw. Have you heard no. that? <laughs> oh, apparently, uh, about a decade ago, Radio 1 got hold of it and played it, and it became uh, something of a, of a success. And basically, this is a tune which was sung by Lou Monte, uh, uh, who lived in, in New Jersey, resident, um, and it was released in 1960. And it was a really kitschy Christmas tune that appealed to uh, uh, an Italian-American audience. So they seem to be the people who, you know, who really sort of lapped it up. And it tells the tale of a donkey 
who helps out Father Christmas in going to Italy and climbing over the mountains because his reindeer can't do that. And it was written by Ray Allen and Sam Salzberg and Wandra Merrill and recorded uh, by Monte, as I've said already. Um, at first, it didn't really receive that sort of you know, it didn't receive the attention that it may have done, and it may be because it appealed to more of an Italian audience. Certain of the phrases in it didn't translate into American, and people wouldn't have wouldn't have understood it. Paysan, for example, means uh, countryman or friend. Uh, there are also colloquialisms for little donkey. Uh, but actually it was it was it was super popular and there were various other italian novelty songs um that that he produced uh, peppino the italian mouse uh was one of them peppino's friend pascal the italian pussycat and paolucci the italian parrot were were his famous quite famous ones um but without further ado i just want to give you a little rendition of it uh, i told my wife that i was going to do this and she said whatever you do don't sing it so i won't sing it i will just um i'll just read it because it, otherwise oh, it's sort of voice. it's sort of like yes but it's a sort of faux uh italian american accent but it right, goes okay. it goes hey chiggity ching hee haw hee haw it's dominic the donkey chiggity ching hee haw hee haw the italian christmas donkey and then the chorus is la 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 dioda uh okay so enough of that santa's got a little friend his name is dominic the cutest little donkey you never see him kick when santa visits his paysans with dominic he'll be because the reindeer cannot climb the hills of Italy. And so back to the chorus. Hey, chiggity ching, hee haw, hee haw, it's Dominic the donkey. Chiggity ching, hee haw, hee haw, the Italian Christmas donkey. La 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 la, etc., etc. Jingle bells around his feet and presents on the sled. Hey, look at the mare's derby on top of Dominic's head. A pair of shoes for Louis and a dress for Josephine. The label on the inside says they're made in Brooklyn. Oh, the rhyming there. Goodness me. Hey, chiggity ching, blah, 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 blah. Dominic the donkey. Uh, children sing and clap their hands and Dominic starts to dance. They talk Italian to him and he even understands. Cumares and cumpares do the dance at Antarel. When Santa Nicola comes to town and brings il cucciarello, which I think is is little donkey. Hey, chiggity ching, blah 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 blah. Hey, Dominic, buena notale. There we are, Sam. Uh, how wonderful! How could we have come from the Bible and readings of Luke and Matthew, Gospels of of James, proto Gospels of James, uh, to uh, Italian nineteen sixties uh, Italian American kitsch. Well, I don't know, but it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's what makes histories of the unexpected the best thing in the whole world. Guys, oh, thank you yes. all so much for listening. Um, we're going to come back. We are doing the history of shepherds, I believe. That's what's going to be uh, next on the list. So looking forward to that very much. And we can guarantee it will be as equally as um, unpredictable, I would say, James. Unexpected. Um, uh, you can, if you want to find out what's going on, uh, do follow me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, do please check out my other podcast, The Mariner's Mirror Podcast. And if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter, at James Nabel. The podcast is on at Unexpected Pod. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. We have a website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, where you can look at our back catalogue and you can also purchase for Christmas 
signed copies of our five books, the big book, Histories of the Unexpected, and then mini books on the Romans, Vikings, Tudors, and World War II. And also, if you would like to be a patron of Histories of the Unexpected and support all the things that we are doing to spread the word of history, then go over to patreon.com and check out our page there. Anything that you could give to help support what we're doing is very much appreciated. That's it all for now, guys, and we'll be back again soon. Cheerio. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye.